Thank you for listening to the Cathedral Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. The death of George Floyd, an African-American man, occurred in Minneapolis on May the 25th, 2020. When an officer, a Caucasian, Minneapolis police officer, knelt on Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds with two minutes and 53 seconds of that occurring after Floyd was unresponsive according to the criminal complaint filed against the officer. Eight minutes and 46 seconds that set a nation on fire. Last Sunday's message, returning to the church, we discussed the reopening of America. Americans are known for standing up for what they believe in and rightfully so. The way we reopen the nation and heal the land is not by standing up, though, but by kneeling down. We found this in James chapter 4, verse 10. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. And then I measured the distance from my knee to the floor. And we found that it's only 20 inches. So at any given moment, At any given moment, you're only 20 inches from a miracle, 20 20 inches from answered prayer, 20 inches from a breakthrough. That's all it takes is 20 inches. Once again, Americans are standing up for what they believe in. And as with the kingdom of God, The spirit of lawlessness knows the way you set a nation on fire is not by standing up, but by kneeling down. At any given moment, we're 20 inches from a tragedy. As in any given moment, we're 20 inches from a miracle. At any given moment, we're 20 inches from a tragedy. Our scripture reading will be in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14 this morning. Herein lies a story that I believe is applicable to you and I and the situation that we find ourselves in today. In Ezekiel 37, Israel is in exile. Israel is longing for restoration, for healing, to be restored to their nationality, to the land of Israel. And God brings a word to the prophet. Ezekiel 37, verse 1, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, there were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And he answered, O Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and I prophesied and there was a loud noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. 
Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Let's title this, We Can't Breathe. In our story in verses 1 through 3, we find what I'm calling the valley of hopelessness. In 2019, we celebrated the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the first African to be sold into bondage in North America in 1619 at Jamestown. 1619 to 2019, 400 years of metal chains, chains, financial chains, and legal chains. You have to understand that 400 years of injustice cannot be erased in 55 years. I say 55 years because it was in 1964 and 1965 that we dealt with the Voting, the Voting Rights Act and Jim Crow law. Jim Crow law that said that a black man could not walk on the sidewalk with a white man at the same time. The Jim Crow law that said you have to sit in the back of the bus. The Jim Crow law that said you can't drink from the white fountain or use the white restroom. 1965, after I was born, it wasn't that long ago. And for us as a community, whether we're black, white, or brown, to think that we could take 400 years of injustice and erase that, eradicate that in 55 years is just not being realistic. We, we erased the Jim Crow law from our law books, but we now must eradicate it from our hearts. And there's work to be done. In our text, in verse 11, it said, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. They said, our bones are dry. We have no hope, and we've been cut off. We feel segregated and separated. Hopelessness. That's why I refer to this as the valley of hopelessness. Because Ezekiel walked out and looked into the valley and it was full of bones. Bones that represented a nation, that represented the past. Lives that had been lost. Men and women that had died. A nation. The blood, sweat, and tears of a people. And those people were crying out. Those bones were crying out. That were dry. We're hopeless. And we feel separated and divided and segregated crying out. The word dry there in the Hebrew, it speaks of like a grape that, that's withered down to a raisin that you've seen. It means to be disappointed and ashamed. It means to be hungry. 
We see that in this cry from the nation of Israel that they were hungry. They were hungry for restoration. They were hungry for something to happen. And so here we see this, a hunger of a nation. I see it now, CNN News and on Fox News. I hear it on ABC and everywhere I go that this nation right now is hungry, more than I've seen before. Not everyone, but I'm hearing more now. A hunger, a hunger. They're saying we're tired, we're tired. The streets have been filled with too much blood and it's not black blood, it's not white blood, it's not blue blood, it's red blood. It's all one blood. There are not many races, there's one race and it's called the human race. And that's what we have to understand this morning and have to preach as a church as we have for 14 years. We have to say to America, there's one race and it's the human race. There is a hunger in this nation, I feel it, for things to be made right. And in one of our three documents that govern this nation, the Declaration of Independence, Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, in the Declaration of Independence, it says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Self-evident. They're obvious. It's plain to see. Self-evident that we're all created equal. We all bleed red blood. Created equal. Children, we know, are born into sin, but they're taught whom to hate. Whether they're black, white, or brown, they're taught whom to hate. Whether it's law enforcement or preachers, they are taught whom to hate. We have to teach them. They're not born that way. You don't learn that. Or you learn that. You're not, you're not born that way. When I encounter small children, black, white, or brown, they all are very receptive to me because they haven't learned yet. They haven't learned yet. The spirit of this world hasn't taught them yet who to to hate or be distrusting of or who to, to be suspicious of. They haven't learned that yet. We have to remind ourselves that we're born believing that all men are created equal. Ezekiel in verse 12 says, therefore prophesy and say to these bones, thus thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves. Graves, graves, graves across the valley and dry bones crying out to Ezekiel, please restore our nation. Graves, there are graves that we have to open, graves that we have to address, graves. You have to understand that in the Bible, when it talks about hell, it's not just the eternal hell, but it, also, it begins with the first hell, which is the grave. There are the three hells of the wicked, and the first one is the grave. And today, trust me, there are people who are walking this earth, the walking dead, who are in bondage to, this, to these spirits, these graves that we need to bring, to bring a deliverance to, the grave of racism and hatred, the grave of ignorance and distrust, the grave of injustice and fear. 
the grave of pride that causes me to jump to my feet and a a moment's notice to fight instead of bowing my knee in humility to pray. Graves, graves that we have to address. In 1963, from the Birmingham jail, one man, and I say that intentional, to remind you of what one man can do. One man stood for all men when he penned the words, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Injustice anywhere in Minneapolis, in Baton Rouge, in St. Paul, in the Carolinas, in Dallas, in Ferguson, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. I must be offended when I see injustice. I must be alarmed when I see injustice. Injustice, rather it's towards the black, the white, the brown, the police officer, first responders, injustice anywhere with anyone is injustice everywhere to everyone. Injustice violates our constitution, the Declaration of Independence. We just celebrated Memorial Day. We pause for a moment to remember men and women that gave their lives for that declaration, for that constitution, and for that Bill of Rights. They went and fought and they died. They died for those documents. They died so we could worship in here freely. They died so our governor would say, churches, places of worship are considered essential businesses and I'm backing off and I'm gonna let churches open up. They died for that. And they died for that statement. All men are created equal. And when we tolerate racism in our country, that's an insult to the price they paid on the altar of sacrifice for that freedom. And I have a responsibility as they fought in the South Pacific, as they fought in Europe, as they fought in North Africa and Italy, I have a responsibility as they fought in Korea, as they fought in Vietnam, as they fought in Iraq and Afghanistan, I have a responsibility to stand up and fight for those documents and that statement that all men are created equal. I have a responsibility. We must hold these truths until all men are created equal. This great experiment of America is still young. Compared to other nations of the earth, America is still young and still trying to find her way. And we must hold these truths so tightly until all men find that equality. We have no choice. We have to, to fight. It's still an experiment. We're still trying to learn and find our way. And there is still work to be done. From the Valley of Dry Bones, 400 years of racism, race war, injustice, 400 years from that Valley of Dry Bones, I 
I can hear. I can sense a hunger rising in America to finish what our founding fathers started. To finish it. And this valley of hopelessness, to finish it. The second thing I want you to see here in verse 1 through 3 is there is a danger of hopelessness. And I, I understand. For 14 years here in Beaumont, I've been fighting this fight. But especially since 2014 with Ferguson, Missouri. When that young man lunged towards an officer and that officer discharged his weapon and that young man's life was taken in the middle of that street. Since that moment, as they debated the issue, why did he lunge at him? Why did the police officer have to shoot? What was wrong? They talked and they debated and I watched it in my room. I was watching it in my living room and I, I was listening to the debates and, and it, trying to make sense of it. What, why does a young life have to be taken out? And trying to understand. I, trying to understand the young boy, Michael Brown. Trying to understand the officer. Trying to understand, wanting to understand. And suddenly Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying they're asking all the wrong questions. And I realized in that moment that this young man was frustrated. And that frustration led to hopelessness. He was caught in a system that he felt he could never get out of. Like Israel in Ezekiel 37, our bones are dry. We're so hungry for things to be made right. We're filled with hopelessness and we feel cut off and segregated and isolated and marginal, marginalized. And so did this young boy. In that moment, I saw his frustration and I sensed his anger. His frustration where he felt, he felt just frustrated with his life. And then hopelessness where he felt trapped and he's never going to get out. That led to anger that caused him to act out. That's why I said during the moment of prayer points and our responses, you have to try to understand a man's journey before you pass judgment on his actions. You have to try to understand. It may not lead you to justification, but it may lead you to forgiveness and restoration. We have to try to understand. So when people come to you with anger, know that behind that anger is a pain, and you have to push past the anger and find the pain. The anger is symptomatic of a deeper disease, and you've got to get to the pain. And if you can understand his pain, I promise you, you can deal with his anger. You have to just do more than say, why are they burning down buildings? You have to go and try to understand their journey. Try. It doesn't justify it, but it may help me to understand. Why do police officers do what they do? We have to try to understand their journey. Why do they react the way they do, respond the way they do? Why do they do what they do? We have to stop and ask the question. Everyone has their breaking point. Whether you have a badge or not, everyone has a breaking point. It doesn't justify, but it helps us to understand. 
Should justice be done when laws are broken? Absolutely. But we have to go beyond that. It's not enough just to say we want justice. We have to have restoration in our nation. We have to have reconciliation. We have to understand. A valley of hopelessness. And for me, looking at Ferguson, Missouri is when it really started. Frustration, hopelessness, and anger. And then in 2016, with the birth of not in my city, with the shooting of Sterling and Baton Rouge and Castile and St. Paul and the ambush of our police officers in Dallas, Texas, out of that came not in my city. And everything ramped up again. Since then, we have fought a fight. Charmaine, James, and I, and the staff, we've tried, we've tried to address the issue within this city and across the nation. And at times, you become weary and well-doing. And you, like Israel, begin to feel hopelessness. You feel like it's never going to change. And that's, there's a danger in hopelessness. That's why in verse 3, God said to, to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? Listen, when God asks you a question, he's not looking for information. He already knows the answer. It's like Ezekiel, this is a test. Pay attention, son. So God asked the question, can these bones live? And he answered, Lord God, you know. The answer lies with you. And that was a good answer. You see, Ezekiel recognized that hopelessness removes the God factor from the equation. When you're filled with hopelessness, you're dismissing God. If I say... America will never change. If I say I can never get white and black and brown and blue to stand together, and I, when I say that, I'm saying that, that God can't get it done. It's impossible. And I dismiss him. When I look across the nation and our cities are burning and there's rioting in our streets, and I'm filled with hopelessness, I'm making a statement that it's impossible for God. Jeremiah 17 makes it very clear to us. He, it says thus, says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man. That's our first mistake. That makes flesh his strength. That's our second mistake. Whose heart departs from the Lord. That's our third mistake. These are the seeds of hopelessness. Trusting in man operating in the strength of the flesh and dismissal of God. When you do those three things, hopelessness is overwhelming you. When you put your trust in man, when's the governor going to do something? When's the mayor going to do something? When's the president going to do something? When's this person going to do that and this? Listen, understand, government can legislate morality, but the church has to establish righteousness. The real question is, is when will the preachers of this nation find their voice and their backbone and stand up and call it for what it is? Racism is a sin. And I don't care what your color is, black, white, or brown. It's a sin. And it's the original sin of this nation. To eradicate one people group and then to enslave another. It's a sin. And we have to deal with it as a country. The seeds of hopelessness. Let us not lose hope in fighting for these truths 
that are self-evident, that are self-evident, that all men are created equal. Let us not lose hope in the fight because when we lose hope, we're removing God, the God factor from the equation. Now we can't do that because with God all things are possible. The valley, of, the valley of hopelessness. And I hear it across the nation. I see a valley of dry bones. And I hear men crying out, hungry for things to be made right. In our story, verses 4 through 14, let me talk to you about the sound that Ezekiel heard. And I'll call it the sound of Pentecost. And Newsweek. Research by sociologists at both Duke University and the Pew Research Center point out that out of the 300,000 or so religious congregations in America today, only 7.5% of them would qualify as multi-ethnic, defined as a congregation in which no single race makes up more than 80% of those who attend. Look at just Christian congregations, and that number falls to below 3%. And our Christian churches, less than 3% qualify as a multi-ethnic church. Just that simply means there's no more than 80% of any one race that dominates. But it's spread out. Acts chapter 2 verse 5. The early church where we take our inspiration from and we use it for the benchmark of how we are to do church and how we are to act. Acts chapter 2, verse 5, on the day of Pentecost some 2,000 years ago. Now, at that time, there were Jewish worshipers who had immigrated from many different lands to live in Jerusalem. And here in this story, in this chapter, there was no less than 15 that were listed. Those from Iran, the Elamites, those from Turkey, Asia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, and the Arabs. And they were all there. They were all there on the day of Pentecost. When, when, there, when there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind and cloven tongues of fire fell and the church was filled and the church was born in that moment. Those nations witnessed that and they all were granted access to the grace of God. For Peter stood up and preached Jesus and 3,000 souls were added to the church. All of them were granted access. You have to understand how how amazing this was because during this time, the temple during Jesus' day was segregated. We, we know this from the scriptures where there was the court of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles could come into the temple area and they could only go so far and they had to stop and the Jews could go further. There was segregation. Archaeologists excavating the temple ruins actually found the dividing wall that separated the court of the Gentiles and with it etched in stone a sign that read, do not proceed any further for fear of death. So the Gentiles would come in and they would encounter this, this wall and this, this sign that said, you go beyond this point, you do at the risk of your own life. And they found nearby a pile of rocks that perhaps was used for the stoning of the Gentiles. Segregation separation, cut off. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, the apostle Paul tells us our reconciling peace is Jesus. He has made Jew and non-Jew one in Christ. He has broken down every wall of prejudice 
that separated us and has now made us equal through our union with Christ. Ethnic hatred has been dissolved by the crucifixion. His triune essence has made peace between us by forming one new race of humanity. Not a black, white, or brown, but one new race of humanity. One new race. And he took ethnic hatred and he nailed it to the cross. Not only your adultery, your fornication, your, your, your jealousy, not only your immorality and your idolatry, not only that, but your ethnic hatred. He nailed it to the cross. We have no excuse but to deal with this issue. We have to because it was nailed to the cross. He tore down the wall, Paul said, that separated us. He tore it down. That wall that had etched in stone, proceed no further at risk of death. He tore that wall down. That's why on the day of Pentecost, the Jews were confused. How can all these nationalities, all these races, how can all this, this multi-ethnic multi uh, moment, how can this take place? How can it happen? It violated their theology and everything they believed in. He tore the wall down. But today, Sunday is the most segregated day of the week, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The most segregated day. And we've come to accept it. We do it in, in Beaumont. I drive by and say, oh, that's so-and-so. That's an African-American church. Oh, I drive by, oh, that's a Caucasian church. Oh, that's a Hispanic church. Now, I understand there's always going to be churches that are predominantly black, white, or brown. I understand that. Let's be realistic. I understand cultural differences that are to be celebrated that makes us better. But the, the ethnic hatred, the racism, it has to dissolve. It has to be eradicated from our hearts. And there has to be churches like this one that's striving so hard to be a church that truly represents all the races of Beaumont. That doesn't just have a sprinkling, but has all of them. And it's not predominantly one over another. It has to be because we're called to this. This is who we are, to be black, white, and brown, to be a church that looks like the church of Acts chapter two. That's our calling. And that's what we have to commit ourselves to. Acts chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. We hear them, these people, speaking of God's mighty wonders in our own dialects. They all stood there dumbfounded and astonished, saying to one another, what is this phenomenon? This phenomenon. I don't understand. What is this phenomenon? I'll tell you what it is. It's the true sound of Pentecost, and it's the true sound of the church. It's true sound. That's, that's what this phenomenon is. That's why in this church, when I see black and white and brown, Baptist and Methodist, Catholic and Pentecostal, when I see all coming together to worship God, old and young, male and female, it, it brings it warms my heart and lifts my spirit because this is what we're called to do. This is who we are. And, but there's still more work to be done. We're not there yet. 
We're still too white. We need more. There needs to be more color in our church. There needs to be more. There has to be. Somebody has to be an example. Set the, set the tone. Be the pioneer. This needs to be the church. It needs to be the church because that's what we're called to. The miracle of Pentecost is not that we speak in tongues, but that God gave us something to say to the nations of the earth. Therein lies the miracle that God filled me, gave me something to say, and to say it to the nations, to speak to the nations. Matthew chapter 24. And what we call the days of sorrow that lead up to the last days. The days that we believe we we're in, the days of sorrow. He said there would be earthquakes, plagues like COVID-19. And he said nation would rise against nation. Or that word can be translated in Greek, race would rise against race. When you watch your news and they show you the burning in Chicago, Philadelphia, New York, L.A., and then they kick in to the COVID-19 and the numbers in the nation and around the world realize you're watching prophecy unfold in front of you. Pestilence and plagues and race against race. We've been called, we've been filled to speak to the nations. Stephen, come help me. You see, my point here today to you and I and to those that are watching online here in America and around the world, my point to you is this. If we kneel together in prayer, Perhaps the nation won't stand and fight. At any given moment, we are 20 inches from reconciliation. If men would just not stand to fight, If they would just first kneel to pray, perhaps our cities wouldn't be burning. Do we need to give in to injustice? No. Do we need to give in to abuse? Absolutely not. Do we need to stand and fight for what we believe in? Absolutely. But first, let us kneel in prayer. Because the ultimate fight is for justice, restoration, reconciliation, and healing. Twenty inches. We preached last Sunday. Twenty inches. George Floyd. said, I can't breathe. Someone, please help me. 
Eight minutes and 46 seconds that could, if we would allow it, it could change everything. Eight minutes and 46 seconds that could bring men to the table. If we could lay down our Molotov cocktails and lay down the bricks and the rocks and come to the table, maybe, just maybe, eight minutes and 46 seconds could change everything. On this Pentecost, America is saying, we can't breathe. We can't breathe. It's too much. The COVID-19, unemployment, and now this tragedy. We can't breathe. Oh, this Pentecost. I can't think of a better time for revival. I can't think of a better time for God's glory to fill this sanctuary. I can't think of a better time for the pillar of fire. Now remember, in the Old Testament, Exodus 19, Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Torah, to get the Ten Commandments, the word of the Lord, earthquake, smoke, fire, wind, the birth of a nation. Acts chapter 2, same day, birth of the church, wind and fire. Okay? Go back to Old Testament. They followed the presence in the form of a fire by, a cloud by day and a fire by night. New Testament, Acts chapter 2. Can't prove it, don't know, but you can't disprove it. That fire came into the room and off of it came cloven tongues of fire that filled each one. Cloven tongues of fire. Same fire, same presence. The birth of a nation, the birth of the church. Cloven tongues of fire. I can't think of a better day for that fire to fill this room. For the angel of his presence to walk into this sanctuary and bring about a revival in our hearts that could spread across this nation and around the world on Pentecost. They that hunger and thirst after, let's make things right. Righteousness shall be filled. Are we hungry to make things right? If we really want revival, then get hungry for righteousness. They that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. If we really want to see revival, you see, God gives revival not just so you can have goosebumps and jump up and down and run around in here. He gives you revival to bring about transformation in the world. It isn't just for you, for you and I to, to feel good. It's so we can change things. They that hunger and thirst after making things right, this is not right. That's not right. This is wrong to look at our community and, and, and see the triad threat to our community. The triad, the triple threat to our community. To see it. To see poverty, 
education and crime. That's the triple threat. That's what's eroding our community. To look at that and, and be offended by that and to approach that and want to tackle that, to have a heart, a thirst for righteousness, to be moved when we see the prostitute on the street corner. It's easy to drive by there and judge her, but I ask you to first try to understand her journey before you judge her actions. It may not help you to justify what she's doing, but it may help you to be merciful and find forgiveness and try to help her out of that. It's so easy to judge everyone. That's why you need to sit at the table and listen and try to understand before you speak. The Bible even says, be slow to speak, quick to listen. We all, we seem to always have the answers. Oh, if I was there, I'd do this. They ought to do that. Well, you should have done this. Well, why don't he do that? Why don't you just, and listen before you speak. It's one thing to be arrogant. It's another thing to be arrogant and wrong. Well, that really drives me crazy. Arrogance and ignorance, the two together just, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Listen. 20 inches from a miracle. America says we can't breathe. John chapter 20, verse 22, then taking a deep breath, Jesus blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. from this house perhaps we could blow and say to America you can't breathe receive the Holy Spirit so on this day on this Pentecost let the church catch its breath and prophesy to America receive the Holy Spirit I want to ask you one question, then we're going to pray. What would happen in America? What would happen in America from the East Coast to the West Coast, from, from the South, from Dallas, all the way up to Chicago? What would happen if you turned on your TV tonight? And there you saw a burning car, a burning building, people rioting throwing stones and rocks at our officers? What would happen if a black man, a white man, and a brown man, and a police officer walked out and the four of them knelt down in the middle of that street and joined hands and began to pray? What would happen in America if you saw these four men, a black man, a white man, a brown man and a police officer kneel in the middle of one of our streets, New York, Chicago, LA. What would happen in America if four men would walk out there and they would bow their knee and pray, not throw a rock, not curse somebody, not cuss somebody, but they'd bow their knee. We're 20 inches from a miracle.
Thank you for listening to the Cathedral Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit icathedral.org.